Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, Today is Tuesday, April 10th, and as always, we start this show uh, here in New York at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I want to remind you that I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with two uh, excellent newsletter writers, Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. We do have a special introductory offer, as we like to tell you every week. Those of you who have not tried the letters, any of these letters, are, are welcome to try uh, any one of them individually. If you call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, we have a special low-priced introductory offer. I like to tell you also that the best website to go to now for everything that I do uh, in my newsletter and uh, this radio show, access for this radio show, as well as interviews that I do with CEOs of companies and my appearances sometimes on uh, networks uh, like CNBC, Fox, BNN, etc., go to J. Taylor Media. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R media.com. Uh, to uh, catch all of that. And again, you can access very easily this radio show, the website that hosts this radio show, Voice America, uh, by going through jaytaylormedia.com. Well, today, uh, the markets are really in uh, quite a turmoil, I would say. The Dow, as I'm looking at the screen now, is down 209 points. Uh, the NASDAQ is down over four, 54 points. The uh, S&P down 22 points or so. Really getting whacked really, really hard today. Meantime, though, the precious metals are up very nicely. Gold up $17, silver up uh, $0.21. Uh, The dollar, interestingly enough, is stronger today in spite of the fact that gold and silver are up. The dollar is up marginally. Copper, on the other hand, is down $0.07 to $3.65. 
Uh, oil is very weak, uh, losing 2 to $3, depending on which uh, oil price you're looking at. Um, and so it is a very, very difficult day for the mainstream, uh, the mainstream products, the mainstream investments today, the equity markets. The, uh, the long bond uh, is up today, which is usually what happens. We see a, a movement towards, um, well, what a lot of people still consider to be security, and that is U.S. dollar, U.S. treasuries. Security, yes, but you're getting uh, negative real returns right now, even using the government's lower than actual inflation numbers, you are paying the government for the privilege of giving them money. Imagine that. Well, uh, in any event, this is an upside-down world, and we try to explore uh, and turn things right-side up as much as possible in this, uh, in this program. And to make it possible for us to do that, we have sponsors, and I want to thank those sponsors for the first hour of today's show, American Bonanza, uh, Eurasian Minerals, Prophecy Platinum, and Rye Patch Gold. And we will be talking to Prophecy Platinum in the second hour of today's show. I want to thank each of you also for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Um, I want to say that successful investing requires you to go where other investors often fear to tread. And uh, one very successful investor on our show from time to time is my partner, Chen Lin. He took $5,400 of his wife's IRA in January of 2003 and turned that into just shy of $1.8 million by the end of last month. And um, by the way, you should take advantage of Chen's excellent work again. I just remind you again, call Claudio Bossi in New York at 718 457 uh, 1426, 718-457-1426, Claudio, uh, or go to uh, miningstocks.com to take advantage of that introductory offer to learn what Chen Lin is all about. Well, how does Chen do it? How has he managed to assemble such a great track record, $5,400 to $1.8 million? Well, for one thing, he thinks outside of the box as well as anybody I've ever seen. Um, and it's a gigantic box that the establishment, the mainstream media would like to keep us inside of, to keep us thinking the way they want us to think so that we'll keep buying the products that they create out of nothing, the increasingly worthless products uh, that are dollar-based products. Dollars, what is a dollar? You know, uh, as Ian McAvity once said, uh, a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil. An ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. What is a dollar? Well, we really don't know because there's endless numbers of them being created in an effort to try to overrun the deflationary forces of debt. Debt is growing so much more rapidly than income, and that's why we are having trouble and why I think it is absolutely predictable that we will continue to have problems in one one form or another because the policymakers have defied the laws of nature. They are trying to outrun uh, the laws of nature, and they will not be successful in the long run. Um, but anyway, getting back to this idea of thinking outside of the box, um, the, we, we need to do that. And today, to help us do that, we are going to be talking to uh, another very interesting person, uh, one, uh, Larry Surima. Uh, he's going to be with us uh, in the uh, well at, at about half past the hour. Uh, Larry visits us with, for the first time. He is an advisor to the Nile Africa Fund. Uh, well, you know, out of ignorance, I think most Americans sort of lump all countries in Africa into one group of dangerous places, and just not a place to go to, not a place to invest in. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Country risk can differ quite 
a lot in Africa. So we are going to ask Larry not only why he is so bullish on Africa, but what countries in general he thinks provide the best risk-reward opportunities. And given my own personal interest in Mart Resources, as well as Chen Lin's, that's his major holding, it's Chen's favorite stock, uh, I want to ask Larry very much, I'm very, going to be very interested in knowing what his take is on Nigerian country risk. Uh, uh, Mart Resources certainly uh, is one of the most outstanding, uh, has made one of the most outstanding new major oil discoveries in recent years. Uh, and so this little relatively minuscule market cap company uh, could provide huge returns. And, of course, that's what Chen is uh, is believing, and that's why he's invested a large percentage of his of his resources in that one company. In the second hour of today's show, I will be talking to Jim Lyles once again. Jim is a fantastic commodities trader, and I value his work very highly, especially when it comes to the question of whether we are heading for an inflationary or a deflationary resolution to the huge economic problems that we have now, and that um, really has been caused by central planners. And again, the notion that somehow uh, policymakers, human beings, can overcome the natural laws of nature is really what's behind the policies of our uh, of our policymakers, uh, who are not willing to accept the laws of nature. Well, uh, this is an interesting topic, uh, one that we talk about probably as often as anything on this show. Uh, last time we had Jim Lyles on this program, he suggested that if the dollar index were to fall below 71.38 and stay there, uh, he would start to view hyperinflation as a major threat. And as it was, his views were very closely aligned with mine uh, on the deflationary side. Uh, the dollar is now at around 80 on the index, so quite a bit of breathing space between that 71.38 level that Jim uh, seemed to believe was so critical before. Uh, but what are Jim's views now on the future, and what does he think about precious metals uh, going forward? Uh, these are questions uh, we're going to ask Jim. Of course, also, what is his take on the energy sector as well as base metals? As always on this show, we like to provide investors with some ideas about how they can apply theory uh, that they hear on the show uh, in their own investment uh, activities. In just a few minutes after our first commercial break, I will be talking to Larry Ray. He's a very successful entrepreneur from Vancouver, a mining guy who is uh, – who will give us an update on American manganese, which, uh, by the way, manganese is Chen Lin's favorite, one of Chen Lin's favorite metals. Chen looks at the, uh, at the global picture as well as anybody I know of. And, uh, uh, manganese and tungsten are two metals that he believes are, are a good place to be, uh, going forward given, uh, China's dominance in those, uh, in those metals and the inability for China to continue to uh, produce uh, those metals uh, to the extent they need uh, going forward. Well, American Manganese has an exceptionally large project in, uh, I think, a very potentially very big uh, profitable project in Arizona. Chen and I both visited that, that project a few months back. The main issue facing this company is, in my view, and, uh, whether or not a hydrometallurgical process can be scaled up to the size of that project that's envisioned here. If it can be, then I think American manganese could be a spectacular investment from current prices of around 33 cents. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing what Larry has to say. There has been some uh, some work done in that regard, uh, I think, on, on their pilot plant, so we'll ask Larry to give us an update on that. 
Then in the second hour, we'll be speaking to John Lee. Uh, he is the chairman of Prophecy Platinum, and John is scheduled uh, to call into the show from Mongolia, of all places. Well, we'll see if uh, hopefully he will be able to get through um, uh, via satellite, no doubt, uh, right here to us and to uh, each of us listening to this show. Um, John will talk to us about Prophecy Platinum, which has a major uh, multi-metal project in the, in the Yukon that uh, Chen and I also visited last summer. We went up there to see that project in Yukon. Also has world-class potential. Again, I think there may be some metallurgical issues there. Sometimes uh, that can be very significant, but we'll talk to John Lee about that as well. Now, before we go to break, uh, I want to remind you that I will be going to the Wealth Protection Conference again. Uh, that's uh, in Tempe, Arizona. I'm going to be there uh, um, with uh, Roger Wiegand, uh, my partner. And Roger, by the way, will have a special one-day seminar on April 26th. Uh, also uh, going to be there will be Ian McAvity, uh, Jim Lyles, who is on this show, will be there as well. Uh, Arch Crawford, who will be joining me, by the way, next week, will also be at that conference. Uh, a host of other people. Let me just see here. We've got uh, Sinclair No. Uh, Janice Dorn, uh, Don Watkins, and Bill Tatro, uh, uh, and myself. And uh, it's always a great time. It's really a, a really good time. Uh, you can call for more information on this if I can find the number here. Um, hmm. uh, the, the, the go to the buysilvernow.com. Uh, go there, buysilvernow.com, and you can gain the information. Oh, here's the number, 800-494-4149, 800-494-4149, or locally call 480-820-5877, 480-820-5877. Okay, well, we do have to go to commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to be with Larry Ray of American Manganese. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. 
At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Larry Ray. He's the president and CEO of American Manganese. That's a company that trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol AMY. You can buy it in the U.S. under the symbol AMYZF. There are approximately 108 million shares outstanding at a 35-cent price, giving it a market cap of about 30, 30, little under $38 million. Welcome, Larry. Good to have you back. Well, I'm glad to be back, uh, Jay. Good to know you're feeling better. I know you were scheduled to be on the show with us uh, a couple of weeks ago, but you were under the weather, so you uh, understand you're feeling much better now, right? Uh, actually, this is the first day I've felt like a human being. Well, so that's that's why you're back on the show, because you're going to tell us, uh, tell our listeners about your company. Um, for the sake of new listeners, spend a minute or two, if you would, Larry, about... Uh, the uses of manganese uh, and the market outlook for this specialty metal. Okay, uh, to put it briefly, manganese is the fourth largest traded commodity out there, and it's a <clears throat> absolutely critical, and there's no substitution for it in the making of steel. That's 90% of the business. And manganese, you can break it down. You take the manganese ore, and you can make uh, ferros, and you can make silica manganeses, and you can make electrolytic manganese, metal and electrolytic manganese dioxide for the battery industry. And that's the last two uh, areas that I just mentioned is, are the areas that we're going to be looking at. They're also the best return because uh, the prices of those uh, metals are in the $1.30, $1.40 range for a pound right now. Mm-hmm. Is there something about your project that uh, gives you an advantage on the electrical, uh, electrolytical side of that? Well, we know that uh, the uh, Chinese control 98.5% of the electrolytic manganese metal business and that their costs have been going up. 
Uh, we're expecting our uh, pre-feasibility study out here. We have a uh, very dated uh, preliminary economic evaluation, so we're expecting our capital and our operating costs will be higher, but still much under the Chinese. And uh, the uh, so EMM is uh, is an area that I want to be in because, firstly, China controls it at 98.5%. China is now consolidating that business from 188 companies down to about 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are running out of the uh, carbonate ores in which they make it, so they'll be having to uh, pretty much adapt the... Uh, the South African process, the only other producer in the world, which produces about 30,000 tons a year, uh, which is a much higher cost to gain because it involves mm-hmm. roasting of the ore. So uh, ours is a hydrometallurgical process, and uh, we use a lot of reagents and everything, which are benign, but uh, we should end up with a cleaner product at the end of the day. Okay, Larry, that uh, leads me to the question. I know the one number one issue in the minds of people who have looked at your story closely is the hydrometallurgical process because I believe that's key to being able to produce at a very low cost, at a cost advantage relative to the Chinese. Uh, what can you tell us about that? I know you did do a, uh, a pilot plant uh, using that process. What can you tell our listeners about that? Because, you know, if that is the key to the success of this company, then obviously this is a very important issue. Yes, well, we uh, engaged or contracted Kometco, who's been involved with us right from the get-go, uh, to build a, a pilot plant, which is actually, you can see it on our site, at AmericanManganeseInc.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> we tested that out last year, and we actually got uh, in the uh, 90% plus range in recoveries of the metal in rapid time. Uh, using sulfurous acid, which, by the way, is not was not invented by us. That was actually invented by the U.S. Bureau of Mines and operated successfully in the 1940s. And then we have uh, did the liquid-solid separation, and uh, that was uh, much more rapid than we thought it would be. We were thinking of getting maybe five, four or five kilograms an hour, and it came out to almost 22 kilograms an hour. So that was... Uh, very pleasing uh, results from that. Mm-hmm. And after that, we go into nanofiltration. We go through a chilling unit, and then we go through uh, belt presses. And that was all done uh, later in the year and early this year. And uh, the results were finally, uh, you know, all the results came in from the various contractors and uh, was submitted to Wardrop here a month ago. And uh, hopefully we'll get the first, uh, well, we'll get a first look at a draft uh, pre-feasibility by the end of this week. Wow. Okay. And will you post that on your website? Eventually that will be posted on our website and on CEDAR. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the only, uh, the only thing that I understand, I, I follow, of course, being in the business, I follow all the uh, feasibility and pre-feasibility work out there and actually some of the construction work. And I'm seeing that the costs are escalating and have been escalating rapidly. So I don't know how that's going to affect us yet, but I guess it's not going to it's not going to go by and not affect us. Sure. But uh, I think that our project is robust enough that uh, increased costs increased costs will uh, not affect the bottom line that much. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, you know nothing is nothing is cast in stone uh, in the real world. Uh, much as politicians might like to cast things in stone, we certainly have to keep our eyes on on uh, on the changes that take place. So we'll be watching very carefully. Um, what uh, 
what about you? Are you still exploring and, and developing more of a resource? Or you, I mean, as it stands, what is your resource there now? Our resource is uh, is a indicated uh, thirteen and a half billion pounds and three and a half billion pounds of inferred, and uh, so that's uh, enough resources to we could operate over a hundred years at the uh, current size that we're going in. Mm-hmm. At uh, it's wide open. Uh, we've only tested about twenty to twenty-five percent of the known occurrences on the property. And uh, so we expect that, uh, you know, further drilling would uh, double and triple that, uh, that number. And, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can see that uh, some of the faces that are on-drilled and on-tested, uh, you know, are, are 30 to 40 meters thick of, uh, you know, 2 to 3, 4% manganese. So sure. it's, uh, well, you've been out in the property, uh, Jay, so you it's know massive. you can see a lot of it uh, just, yeah. by, just by traveling around the property. Right. So, I mean, you don't really need to explore. You don't really need to build up more of a resource. The main thing now is, will this hydrometallurgical process work, and what are the the economics of it, right? Isn't that what we need to watch for? That's what we have to watch for. And, uh, you know, we're very optimistic about uh, of the results coming out. And, uh, you know, but uh, that'll all be said and done once uh, once it's signed off and, uh, and uh, Wardrop uh, files it. Larry, are you doing some uh, patent work with your hydrometallurgical process for manganese uh, recoveries? Yes, we've uh, actually published a patent now, and uh, so we've uh, protected that process. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Tetley Peak, when the uh, U.S. Bureau of Mines were actually using sulfurous acid to, uh, to leach uh, manganese ores, uh, was the most amenable of all the ores they tested in the United States. So, but there could be other deposits, uh, you know, especially if there's sediment, uh, sedimentary deposits that, uh, that could, uh, you know, utilize this. So if there is, uh, we'd hope to collect royalties on that. Well, I know that, uh, so that's how you might be protecting yourself because clearly, you know, when I talk to others about this project, their first comment was, yeah, but it's a very low, low grade. Uh, and so, uh, you need to have this hydrometallurgical process to make it economic, right? Well, this is it. It's actually what makes it, uh, it takes it to the point of where you can start, uh, you know, working on the economics is the fact that it's uh, leached by sulfurous acid, mm-hmm. which you get, uh, you know, you'll get 90% and greater recoveries in, uh, in, in a couple of hours out of the leach of the material. So that, that's huge. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, the major major stepping stone. The rest of the hydrometallurgical process, uh, Jay, is actually used in the mining operations today, and uh, you know some of them are industrial uh, metals, and uh, so it's not black box uh, uh, technology. This mm-hmm. is technology that's uh, been established uh, for decades out there, and that's all we're doing is we're putting these technologies together. Uh, in order to uh, end up with a product at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's not—it's—it's uh, it's been tested. It works on uh, on other metals. Uh, it's been tested. It uh, works on our metal. Now it's a matter of scaling it up, and uh, you know, so you can build a plant, say, uh, you know, to produce a uh, 110 million pounds a year. We probably need a plant of uh, six or seven thousand tons a day. Hmm. 
Well, it's it's interesting because it's also an environmentally friendly process, as I understand it. And so you would see, um, you know, if if you have a patent protection here, if there, uh, if this process works, there could be, as you suggested, a lot of other or some other sedimentary hosted uh, deposits that could uh, could be competitive to you. But if you have the patented process uh, locked up, then I guess that would that would allow you to uh, protect yourself in that way. Well, we could license that process, and uh, certainly we could. Uh, that would help us capitalize on any other uh, mines coming in. There has to be more uh, electrolytic manganese metal mines outside of China. China is uh, expected to be a net importer in 2015. Well, if they produce 98.5% right now, and the free world's using about uh, roughly uh, 30% of that production, where's it coming from? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it has to be met outside of China. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we want to be one of the first ones out there. But there, there will come a time when the metal starts to, uh, you know, rise rapidly in price because of the restricted supply. And uh, there will be other companies that will be entertaining other methods of uh, making uh, EMM. Yeah, Larry. I know we only have about a minute left here, and I'm wondering uh, you you're going to be coming out with maybe by the end of this week, or at least you'll have some information soon about the uh, about the economics of the pre-feasibility results. Uh, you're going to have to raise some capital. You indicated it's going to be more than you might have thought of earlier, which is consistent with the industry. What uh, just can you give our listeners some sense of a major you know ballpark, big broad? idea about how much capital might be required and then the second question is do you have uh, possibilities of buyer offtake financing here okay to answer the first question i would be uh reluctant to put a number out there because uh, uh it, it, we just don't have anything to hang our hat on on sure. the uh, capital costs at this moment understood and uh you know this is a manganese project it's a one off deal it's not like copper lead zinc and all that where you have uh, cookie cutters that you can look at and say okay this is this should cost this or this should yeah. cost that and when we talk about the uh second part of the equation uh, do we have any off takers and i do believe uh, we've uh, have potentially do have off takers out there we were talking to 15 or 20 different metal companies mm. And, um, you know, they want to see the project further advanced, yeah. uh, which is the norm today. And but I think that's uh, that's in, definitely in the cards. And after the uh, pre-fees, uh, probably more so. Larry, is there anything else? We are out of time, but is there anything else you think our, need, our listeners definitely need to know about? They can go to your website to keep up. That's AmericanManganese.com, right? That's right. Uh, one thing that I, I like to point out is okay. the highest cost producer in the world has 50% ore. That's in South Africa, and the uh, second highest in China has 10 to 12 percent ore. Mm-hmm. And by indications of the preliminary economic evaluation, we have the lowest grade of 2 to 4 percent ore, and uh, our costs are the least. So, Interesting. grade is uh, is is not the major uh, factor in electrolytic manganese metal. Of course, that that depends a lot on, on. I mean, that does depend to a great extent on whether or not your hydrometallurgical process works. And all indications are, so far, based uh, on your work thus far, that it does work. That it should be economic. Right. All right. We'll have to let it go at that. That's all the time we have. Uh, we do have to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to be uh, talking to Larry Sernuma. Uh, he is an investor, a fund manager. Uh, in Africa, and he's going to talk to us about uh, 
some opportunities on uh, the forgotten continent. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Larry Sonuma. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Larry Saruma. Larry is the founder and managing principal of Nile Capital Management, LLC, the advisor of Nile Africa Funds, uh, and that's a fund that seeks investment opportunities across the African continent. And he has over 20 years of experience in portfolio management, investment research, and quantitative investment strategies. Prior to founding Nile Capital Management, uh, Larry was a principal at Barclays Global. Earlier, uh, he was an, uh, an options market maker uh, in the exchange pits at the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. He has authored several articles on investments in Africa and other emerging frontier markets and has been featured in many leading financial publications. He is the author of uh, MoneyWatchAfrica.com, MoneyWatchAfrica.com. That's a financial blog focused on understanding African investments opportunities, and he serves on the board for all. Um, he, he serves on the board for um, board for all for Africa. That's a nonprofit organization, and Larry received his MBA in analytical or analytic finance and statistics from the Booth School of Business, University of Chicago, in 1996. Welcome, Larry. It's really good to have you with us. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me on. It's great to have you. I see you've got quite a varied interest, a lot of uh, quantitative uh, things as well as uh, uh, to go along in your portfolio of, of knowledge. 
Um, when we talk about Africa, I think Americans, uh, well, Americans tend to be fairly ignorant about any place outside of America, I dare say, un- un- unfortunately. But Africa, maybe more than most places, people are really, I think, not very enlightened here about about the, what I like to call the forgotten continent. Um, how many countries are there in Africa? Right. Um, there are 54 countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newest member is Southern Sudan, and that uh, happened uh, uh, pretty recently. Um, can, uh, Africa is very diverse. Um, it is uh, really different. North Africa is different from West Africa. West Africa very different from East Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best way to look at Africa is on a country basis. Mm-hmm. So um, I agree that uh, you know the right approach is on a country basis as opposed to looking at Africa as one country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Larry, when it comes to investing, the rule of law is, is very, very important. And I know I'm always uh, concerned to know whether or not the country, uh, whether or not a, the contract uh, that the company that I invest in will be honored. And if dishonored, is there recourse through a court of law? Now, I know, uh, again, every country is different, but, uh, you know, I just read here, sometime this morning, actually, as I was getting ready for the show, uh, somebody was talking about Zimbabwe, where there had been, uh, I think on April 5th, the government of Zimbabwe suddenly decided, or at least they suddenly announced, that it owned 51% of all the shares of all mining companies, uh, of all uh, all shares owned by foreigners in, in mining companies in that country. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh, if uh, you know, if that's an accurate statement or not, but but the point is that I'm always worried about the rule of law and the ability to for the contract to be upheld. Uh, what can you tell us about, uh, I mean, are there certain countries in Africa where that is less of a problem than in others? And, and by the way, let me just say that I think as an American, I worry about that here too. <laughs> that is true. Um, the... Uh, the right approach for Africa is really, uh, especially in thinking about investing in Africa, is to go through an experienced uh, fund manager like us who know the continent pretty well. Um, but Africa has some failed states, and unfortunately, the failed states are the ones that get into the press. Mm-hmm. A good example is Zimbabwe, where we don't make any investments in Zimbabwe because um, we believe it's a failed state, and we believe the government is not doing the right thing with regard to attracting foreign investment, and it doesn't have the right rules in place. Mm-hmm. So the best way to invest in Africa is to really approach it on a country-by-country basis. There are failed states that always appear in the newspapers, like Sudan or Zimbabwe, you've mentioned that. However, there are many other countries in Africa that uh, have respect for the rule of law. Mm-hmm. If you invest your money, you are likely to get it, even in a situation where there seems to be political turmoil. I'll give an example of Egypt. Um, even though the stock market last year was closed for almost 60 days, mm-hmm. when it did eventually open, everybody who had the opportunity to sell saw the investments and they were able to move on. So um, that is an example of where the rule of law and the ability to negotiate a contract and follow through does actually uh, go according to plan. Mm -hmm. But even when you look at the sub-Saharan Africa and you pick up uh, some of the larger countries like Nigeria, again, the rule of law uh, uh, is uh, uh, is there and uh, you have the ability to invest. 
uh, in uh, uh, make your investment and be able to sell your investment and be able to uh, take your capital. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, unfortunately, the newspapers uh, really focus on some of the rogue or failed states, but the vast majority of African countries uh, have good respect for rule of law. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you mentioned Nigeria, and I know that I want to talk about Nigeria in uh, in part for a selfish reason. I have uh, owned shares of stock uh, in a company, uh, in an oil company there. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Nigeria? Um, Nigeria is the largest uh, uh, country in Africa by population. It's about 160 million people in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the second largest economy next to South Africa. Uh, Nigeria, over the last 10 years, has been growing at about 8%. Mm. And going forward, the World Bank uh, and uh, uh, some research by Citigroup rank Nigeria as the fastest growing economy for the next 30 years. Mm. And they predict that Nigeria will be growing at about 8.5%. Mm. Now, Nigeria heavily um, depends on uh, crude oil. Um, mm. it, uh, 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 it has about 3 to 4% of global reserves for oil, mm-hmm. a little bit better than uh, Brazil. Um, and um, it has had a successful transition of power over the last elections. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, if you look at the last year in 2010, they went through a successful election process where the current president, uh, Jonathan Goodluck, uh, did win uh, the majority. Um, But if you look at, say, 15 or 20 years ago and beyond that, um, the elections uh, weren't um, there in Nigeria. But Mm -hmm. The transition has really happened over the last 20 years, where you're having successful change uh, in power that is driven through democratic reforms or through uh, democracy at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. So Nigeria becomes a very interesting area to invest for anyone looking for a long-term investment. Hmm. Interesting. I know that uh, the particular company that my partner Chen Lin and I have been uh, very keen about, uh, an oil exploration, well, actually an oil producer with, with uh, very rapidly growing reserves, and the, and the main thing there is having the, the pipeline capacity, which they are expanding now, uh, and that's really the, the, uh, the bottleneck is the ability to get their massive uh, oil out, to the, out into the market. Um, uh, it, you know, and it seems that the market is really not, you know, is really putting a risk premium on them that's very, very high. Um, so I guess maybe this is a theme that happens in a lot of African countries, eh? That is, the risk um, premium is very high. Absolutely. There's a big disconnect between what the true fundamental value is and where the stocks uh, end up trading. Uh, we are value investors, so our approach is really fundamentally driven. Mm-hmm. And when we look at countries like Nigeria, and I can tell you, uh, if I look at, say, the banking sector in Nigeria, which has gone through a big transformation over the last uh, two years, mm-hmm. Nigerian banks are attractively priced relative to other emerging market banks and relative to frontier banks and even relative to um, U.S. banks. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a high dividend yield. Uh, if I look at the largest four banks in Nigeria, they have a 9% dividend yield. Hmm. Their equity to assets is in double digits. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at South African banks, equity to assets in single digits, if you look at the dividend yield, is about 3.5%. Um, if I look at the price to book, which is another metric that is uh, used by analysts to look at banks or value banks and compare them, mm-hmm. uh, Nigerian banks trade below one times book. And when you look at the typical emerging market bank trades at 1.6 times book. Mm-hmm. So all of these metrics, you find that the Nigerian banks are better capitalized, are trading at a very low multiple, and they have a huge earnings growth uh, 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 multiple that's far much bigger than the emerging market. So that's mm-hmm. where the disconnect lies. Um, so for a long-time investor, an economy that's growing in at a half percent, together with the cheap banking, uh, 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 cheap banking multiples, that should be the place to be uh, because if the economy is going to grow, the banks are going to finance that economy. Yeah. So yeah. Um, for a long-term investor, really that's a very compelling opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there are some issues in Nigeria, though, I'd like to ask you about uh, before we go on to talk about some other uh, countries. Nigeria... Uh, does have, I think, some uh, some conflicts with people in the north, perhaps, the Islamic population, and then you have a Christian population in the south. Is that right? That's correct. Um, if uh, really, if you know, the whole country can be really split up, is that the, the northern part is uh, uh, Muslim and the southern part is uh, uh, Christian, and that created some tensions that have been there historically. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the um, you know the northern part has also tended to be much more poorer than the southern mm-hmm. part. Um, the southern part is predominantly where the oil reserves are, mm-hmm. and the northern part has not been that endowed with natural resources as the south. Um, historically, there has been uh, some sort of a truce where, uh, if uh, this year or this term a northern president comes into power and serves there two terms in office the next two terms go to a president that's in the south. Mm-hmm. So through this mechanism, there has been some stability with regard to the north and the south and keeping the country uh, 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 without any uh, uh, conflicts. Uh, but recently we have seen um, more heightened uh, kind of uh, 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 civil unrest driven by uh, some groups in the north that have done the bombings that have been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the government is on top of this, and uh, we believe this is just a short-term um, uh, situation, which is primarily driven by the fact that um, Jonathan Goodluck, uh, who is a kind president, there is a perception in the North that this time around it was supposed to be uh, someone from the North who is supposed to be in the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really the big driver. But outside that, um, this situation has coexisted for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So uh, we don't see from an investor standpoint this being a big reason not to invest in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, are there some oil subsidies or subsidies uh, to keep oil prices down for, for people in Nigeria that, uh, is being, that are being taken away? And has that caused some problems? Absolutely. That's the other underlying reason. Uh, one of the key things that uh, uh, the country is facing is to become much more robust and become more efficient. And uh, the way to do that is to really take out the government subsidy, 
which mm-hmm. has not worked very well uh, historically because the government spends a lot of money in maintaining this subsidy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the new government has made some reforms where they are cutting down on the subsidy, and um, as this kind of settles through the economy, you are seeing different groups who are perhaps having to contribute more because the subsidy is taken away, uh, mm-hmm. experiencing some stress. Uh, but also for the fact that uh, prices for many goods may have to go up as a result of readjustment of the cost of op- cost of running a business. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in the short term, there is uh, an uptick in inflation. But we believe the long term uh, policy, which is to remove the subsidy, is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Larry, you know, as we're talking about one country here, and we ver- barely scratched the surface on that one, it, it strikes me that we could have probably spent a whole half hour just talking about Nigeria. But um, <laughs> it, what, what sort of, and so it sort of leads me to the question: What about then the monetary policy of of a country like Nigeria? If there are these strains and stresses, might there not be some temptation to print or to expand the monetary system uh, such that you start having an inflationary problem? Right. Uh, actually, Nigeria is very similar to many other African countries. They have really managed their finances a lot better, definitely a lot better than Europe. Um, they really have better physical than the surpluses, and um, they have not had these huge spikes in inflation. They have managed their currency pretty well. Um, there is not huge volatility in uh, the Nigerian Niara. Um, they have managed it within a band. Uh, just to make sure they can balance their import and export uh, bills. Uh, so, if you look at the, um, you know, the current governor uh, Sanusi, uh, the, the the governor of the Nigerian bank, uh, he comes from a very good background and he has been able to steer the country through uh, many uh, challenges with regard to inflation and managing uh, inflation within a respectable bands. So, all of this. Uh, becoming uh, very good for uh, investors. Uh, if we look at the Minister of Finance, I think she was also being nominated to be the head of the the, the, the World Bank. Mm-hmm. So you have some very good technocrats who have who are in power and they have been able to implement very good physical policies and monetary policies in the country. You have major oil companies there as well, uh, major U.S. oil and international oil companies. Uh, is that right? Yes, you have the big oil players there. They're primarily European oil players who are in Nigeria. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, because of the size of the uh, uh, of their oil reserves. Some of the bigger players uh, in Nigeria, and I've been there for a long time. Uh, but as you say, they're also uh, encouraging local. Uh, uh, oil companies to really grow and be able to develop the infrastructure. Um, so you have a good mixture, but mm-hmm. on average, the international companies that have been there have been there for a very long time, mm-hmm. and uh, they have operated uh, pretty well in the country. Yeah, as I understand it, the uh, the government uh, decided that if the big oil companies weren't going to explore and develop, they would uh, make those uh, claims available to others. Is that is that what's happened there? And yeah, and we've seen some auctions uh, with regard to that, where some of the big uh, oil companies have released some of the blocks that the 
um, or are going to develop, but because they don't see a need to develop those assets now, they have given them back to the government. The government did auction those assets up again to uh, to the new oil players, and uh, the new oil companies are also mandated to develop them or lose them. But it was done in such a way that's equitable for all the uh, the investors who were there before and the new investors. Mm-hmm. So it was done in a very transparent and uh, very equitable way. Well, before we are out of time, I want to ask you what is another, uh, what would be another country, a favorite uh, country in Africa that you that you're really keen on now? And and let me before you get to to that, uh, would you say that Nigeria is the number one uh, country in Africa where you have maybe a, a lower, larger portion of your portfolio there there than in some of the other countries? Yes, uh, a big part of our portfolio right now is in Nigeria more than any other country uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, There are many other places we like in Africa, especially the key region is the East African region. Mm -hmm. There you're thinking about Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania. Uh, For various reasons, Uh, for example, Uganda recently has oil discoveries that happened about a year ago. Uh, two weeks ago, Kenya became the latest African country to discover oil. Mm. There are significant gas reserves off the shore of Tanzania. Um, and these continued drilling and there's continued oil and gas exploration in the entire East African region. Mm-hmm. Uh, so within the next five to ten years, you are going to witness significant developments with regard to putting this infrastructure and to begin exporting refined products or to, refine, or to export crude. Um, recently, there was uh, a deal by Sinoc, uh, Total, and Talo Oil mm-hmm. uh, looking to invest almost $10 billion in Uganda to develop the oil reserves. Mm. So um, over the next four or five years, you're going to see more and more of the infrastructure being built and that's really going to drive these economies going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, uh, of course, ways for you to uh, to invest. I mean, individual investors, it's difficult. It's difficult enough for individuals to invest in the United States in individual uh, companies. You have to do a lot of homework. You need to keep on top of these things. One of the easiest ways to invest, in, especially in a foreign uh, area like this, would be through your uh, mutual fund. Tell us, Tell our listeners about your fund. What is the name of the fund again? Uh, the name of the fund is Nile Pan-Africa Fund, and uh, the ticker is Nancy Andrew Frank Charlie X-Ray, which uh-huh. is N-A-F-C-X, um, and uh, that fund is available for as little as $1,000 for uh, retail investors, mm-hmm. uh, which is really the best way to participate uh, in a continent so diverse as Africa. Um, so it's important that... Uh, Managers like us who know the place uh, can be able to navigate and stay away from, say, trouble spots and be able to uh, put the investment into the right place. How has the fund performed over the last number of years? Um, um, We have just finished our first quarter, and uh, according to our first quarter performance, there's more information on our site, uh, but quarter performance, we... uh, 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 the fund was approximately about 20% uh, for the quarter. The uh, MSCI was about maybe 13% uh, for that. Uh, so you are getting uh, a, uh, at least for last quarter, 
the performance really did exceed the benchmarks. Um, and we would encourage all investors to go to our website. Then you can uh, get a little bit more information about how the performance has panned out historically. Sure. Um, how long has the fund been operating? The fund has been around for two years now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is certainly a very, very interesting story. Uh, w- would there be uh, a couple of companies that are, that are, you know, the major holdings? Would there be some that are, say, 5 or 10% holdings? Do you have uh, – how diverse is your portfolio, I guess, is one thing I'm – is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Yeah. Um, some of the larger holdings in our company is a company called African Minerals, mm-hmm. and uh, it's an iron ore company based out in Sierra Leone. Um, that company was uh, an exploration company that is transitioned to being a production company right mm-hmm. now. Uh, it still represents a core holding in our portfolio, uh, but that's a good example of some of the holdings we have. It is currently listed on uh, the uh, London Stock Exchange. Are they, uh, are they a, a metals producer? Or? Yeah, it's a metals producer. It's mm-hmm. transitioned to be a metals producer this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Another company is Cove Energy, um, and again, it's a, a big holding in the portfolio. Cove Energy has primarily uh, oil and gas assets off the East African coast in mm-hmm. Mozambique and Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's also listed uh, on uh, uh, on the UK on the UK exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gives you an idea uh, mm-hmm. of our holdings. Uh, if you go to our if you go to www.nilefunds.com you can see the composition of uh, uh, some of the holdings we own. Mm-hmm. The Nile Fund, it sounds like it might be named after Egypt. Do you have holdings in Egypt? Yes, we do have holdings in Egypt. Um, we uh, Currently, we have um, a small holding in, in, in Egypt in terms of uh, our weight or exposure to Egypt. We like uh, Orascom Construction, which mm-hmm. is a fertilizer and a construction company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about $9 billion in market cap. Um, uh, we believe um, if uh, any uh, reconstructions or any uh, uh, developments in the Middle East, uh, they tend to benefit because they are one of the largest constructors in the Middle East area. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it represents a, a good opportunity to play on the growth in the region. Mm-hmm. Larry, you mentioned uh, banking uh, as, a, as an area, and I, I gather probably resources. Are those the two major uh, sectors that your fund is involved in, and or would there be some others as well? Right. Um, the biggest uh, area, areas or investment themes or sectors we invest in is really the consumer, the consumer mm-hmm. growth story. Mm-hmm. Africa is a billion people, which is about 15% of the entire population. And in 20 years, it'll probably be uh, 2 billion people. Uh, so the consumer potential is enormous. Um, so consumer stocks represent um, about 30% of what we do uh, in the portfolio. Natural resources rank second to that, uh, given the fact that uh, Africa has 50% of global reserves for uh, gold, uh, 50% of global reserves for iron ore, 15% global reserves for oil. So Africa becomes very strategic with regard to all strategic minerals. Mm-hmm. So that becomes a core holding or a core theme in the portfolio. 
And the third theme in the portfolio is the infrastructure story. Mm-hmm. Uh, as emerging markets industrialize, as Africa urbanizes, the demand for services for people living in urban cities uh, far exceeds the supply. So um, any company that caters for this group, whether it's telecom uh, or it could be media, um, also it could be things like housing, all of that represent the potential demand uh, that, uh, uh, that is there for countries that are urbanizing and are going into middle class. Excellent. Very good. Unfortunately, Larry, we're out of time. Uh, tell our listeners one more time your website so they can follow up on, on what, you're, what you're doing. Yes. Our website is uh, www.nilefunds.com, um, and our fund is the Nile Pan Africa Fund. Uh, for those who want to find the ticker, it is uh, NFCX, NFCX, um, and um, and that's the best way to reach us. Okay, very good. Uh, it's very interesting. Thank you very much, Larry, for coming on. It is a very interesting story. I hope to have you on again sometime soon. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back with Jim Lyles. He'll talk to us a little bit about the commodity markets and his overall views uh, from his economic views in general. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you, Jay. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. 
At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters avino silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012 avino resumed production at its historic avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. <laughs> 